0: Hello, and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: If you've been around Oasis uh, for a, a few years, you'll know that in 2019 through to 2020, we started a series in the Book of John. Now, at this point, we're not now pressing play. Uh, to continue where we kind of stopped in March 2020. But rather, we're going to look at it through a lens of Jesus' invitation in John 10.10, where he says that he's come to bring life to you and to me, uh, whether we're in the room, whether we're online, whether we're watching at a different point, whether we know something of Jesus, when we think we know nothing of Jesus, that he's come in order that we could know life and life in full. And it's that that we want to look at, because as we continue in the book of John, what we're going to discover is John begins to paint a picture of what that life in full looks
0: like. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, there with fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, "'Lord, who is going to betray you?' When Peter saw him, he asked, "'Lord, what about him?' Jesus answered, "'If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you?' "'You must follow me.' Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written.
1: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone in the room. Good morning, everyone online. Uh, Good morning. At the moment, you get to watch it at a different point, maybe not live. In this moment, you are very welcome as well. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Adrian. I get the privilege of us uh, kind of gathering to look at this last part, as Sarah said, of John 21. And it's been an amazing journey. It is a historic day, as Sarah pointed out, that we started this journey in John in uh, September 2019, took a pause because of a pandemic. Uh, and then far at the beginning of this year that it was time to kind of get back into John and to end the journey that we'd started back in 2019, but with a slightly different lens of looking at how Jesus comes to offer us life in full. And um, before we get to look in and zoom in on John chapter 21, I just wanted to make a quick comment in terms of John as a gospel, as it is the last day that we're going to be looking as a gathered community Uh, at this amazing account by Jesus' friend on the wonder of his life, death, and resurrection. Um, I don't know about you, but I've just loved looking at the account of John. I think it is beautifully written. I think it is filled with breadcrumbs that are continuously there to find and then follow the breadcrumbs to other stories throughout the whole of the Bible that both point to that story and point to how Jesus is the fulfillment of that story. And so it just causes me to just live more in wonder uh, and in awe of just what the Bible is, of how it's this book that allows us to continuously discover new things. It isn't ever that we get to this point of thinking, okay, that's it. I've got this one pinned down. I've got God pinned down, rather this invitation to continuously come and allow God to reveal more of the wonder of who he is through the book. Um, But more than just a passion for the Bible, I think what John's account does for me is it just causes you to just realize the wonder and magnitude of who Jesus is, that Jesus really does change everything, and I want us to see that again today as we get to Zoom in on John chapter 21. As there's so much that we could look at, but I want to focus in at the very center of the chapter of a kind of conversation over a charcoal fire uh, where we discover Jesus' interactions with Peter where he seeks to bring restoration uh, to Peter. And I want us to see that actually what happens to Peter is what Jesus is longing To do for you and I. That Jesus is longing to speak into our stories in order that we would know the life in full that he offers, which is a life of restoration. And that's what we're going to do. We're just going to camp out and look at, well, what does that life of restoration looks like? Well, before we get there, I just thought it'd be good to just kind of give us some framework of what I even mean by restoration, And I was kind of thinking through over the last couple of weeks, like, what could I use as a good image? Something that we could all picture, something we could all have experienced of where we've seen something uh, kind of restored. And I was thinking through of that BBC One TV series where they hide in a tool shed and kind of restore people's antiques to something amazing, and it brings a tear to your eye. I I love that. Um, But then I was thinking, like, but still, that feels like it's something we've got to try and imagine. It's not something we can touch. And then... Last week, if you were around, you know that Dave Gooding spoke, and towards the end of his talk, he got us to touch the building, literally touch this physical building, in order that it would cause us to connect with the story that goes from generation to generation of the wonder of who Jesus is. And um, as he did that, I just suddenly thought, actually, this building is something that for many of us, we've seen be restored Or maybe this is your first time around us, and you get to hear that this is a building that reveals something of what restoration looks like. And so I'm just going to show you two images that are around and reveal the back hall. The one that I can see on my left uh, is what it used to look like. Uh, which was at the back hall, I remember us moving in. It had no power, no lighting. Uh, it was damp, cold, and falling down. It had a tree growing out of the floor through to the ceiling. Um, the roof needed repairing, and it was quite a state. At that point, you can look at it and think, well, why don't you knock it down and build something new? Well, because underneath it was hidden beauty, that needed to be restored. And so gifted craftspeople then gave their time and energy to restoring the building. Did you hear that I said it was other people? It wasn't me because I'm not gifted, I'm not a craftsperson. Uh, This last week I got to hang out for breakfast with a number of these gifted craftspeople and I'm so thankful for who they are. But what it resulted in was a restoration from what we can see into what we now know, of this room with this amazing parquet floor that was hidden under just grime and dirt and trees growing out of it, of this beautiful brickwork, of it all coming to and it got restored into something. And the reality is, this is often what we see of restoration. We think, all right, it was something and now it is something. Restored from, restored in to something. But that's never the end of the story of restoration. Because if that had been the end, what we'd have ended up with is a museum. Something where you just think, oh, that's nice. That's, that's something to go and see occasionally. No, that was never the purpose. The purpose wasn't that others could come in or we could come in and say, oh, that's very nice, and then go home. It's a nice architectural feature. Let's put it on the hidden gems of Birmingham. No, no, the point was that it's been restored from something into something for something it has been restored in order that it could become our home. For us to come and gather in, for us to come and build a culture together of who we are as family, of us to reveal something of who Jesus is in order to bring others in, to come and be changed by him, for us to do things that would serve the local community or invite the local community to come and use our home to do what they wanted to do, to do good for the community around See, restoration is always from something, into something, but it's always for something. If nothing else, that's what I want you to leave with today. Because that is the story we're going to find was true for Peter, and that is the story that Jesus longs to be true for you and to be true for me. See, firstly, we start off with a restoration from. In verse 9, John accounts this. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. This is going to be a moment where Peter is restored. And at this point, you're thinking, yeah, why aren't you doing the conversation between Peter and Jesus? Well, because remember, it's John writing the account. And John always puts breadcrumbs in order that we know what's going on. And so he puts in that they gather around a charcoal breakfast a charcoal fire for breakfast why why does he put that why why is it important that it's a charcoal fire well because John wants us to be reminded of another moment of a different group gathered around a charcoal fire. You can read about it in John 18, 18, where you find Peter, after Jesus has been arrested, gathering with some other people around what? Around a charcoal fire. And as he's gathered there with these other people, they start to think, hey, you're not like us. I, I think you're one of those people who was with Jesus. The Jesus who's just been arrested, the Jesus who's about to be executed. You're one of them, aren't you? And we find that Peter at that charcoal fire is questioned three times as to whether he knows and is with Jesus. And each time he responds by choosing to say he doesn't know Jesus. He's not with Jesus. Jesus meets Peter at the place where he needs restoring, at the charcoal fire. The charcoal fire, where it being the place where he decided, "No, I don't know Jesus," is the place where Jesus meets him to say, "I know you." See, Jesus is one who longs to restore us, and for Peter, he longed to restore Peter. And so he meets Peter where he's at. You see, Jesus is one who can do something about where Peter is at. You see, what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection is he changes everything in order that he has power to restore. Therefore, he meets Peter at the charcoal fire to say, Peter, I meet you here to restore you from your past. From the choices you made to deny me. It wasn't any old place. Jesus meets him there because he wants him to know that he's come to bring a life, a life of restoration. He doesn't want Peter to live from that place any longer. And the truth is that Peter's story speaks into our stories. See, Jesus meets with you, Jesus meets with me and longs for us to know that we don't need to be defined by our past, by the things that we've done or the things that we've, have been done to us that cause us to live with that sense of shame. Like Peter knew that. If you read the account of the first charcoal fire, that after he gets the third time of making the choice to deny Jesus, it then says he flees in shame. Like there's stuff that we've done, there's stuff that's been done to us that causes us to be imprisoned by shame. We hide it, we dress it up, but if people really knew me, then they'd know. And Jesus meets us in that place and says, no, I don't want that to define you. Why? Because I'm the one who lived, died, and rose again to redefine, to restore you. But it's only our past. It's also in respect to our choices, See, if we're a follower of Jesus, we make choices that seek to deny Jesus. Maybe it's not like around a charcoal fire and someone turns to you and says, hey, you're one of those followers of Jesus, aren't you? And we kind of say, no, 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 I'm not that. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it is sometimes. But I wonder if it's more that we make choices to deny Jesus through what we watch how we treat others how we treat ourselves how we handle what we've been entrusted with like that's uncomfortable isn't it like maybe you're a follower of jesus here and you just know that sense man if i'm honest like that thing that moment that way i'm living at the moment like it, I know that ultimately that's a choice to deny Jesus is the one at the center of my life. I've decided that I'm gonna go my own way. Here's the good news, Jesus is one who meets you and meets me in that place, just as he did with Peter. And he meets us in that place because he has power to restore. Because he doesn't leave Peter just knowing Jesus knows his past. Jesus knows the choices he's made. No, he wants to change it. See, it's a restoration into something. In verse 17, John accounts, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you, Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus meets Peter at his moment of needing restoration and restores him into something. Now, in it, you can think, okay, well, that's quite a symmetry, isn't it? He, Peter denies Jesus three times, and therefore, he has to recommit himself to Jesus three times. Like, we're Western. We like methods. Oh, well, that's what it is, isn't it? To follow Jesus. Oh, I did that. Therefore, I need to do this. That's not what's going on here. Like, it wasn't about the three. This wasn't for Jesus's benefit. As Peter says, like, Jesus knows everything. Therefore why does Jesus address Peter like this? Well Jesus is restoring him into the basis the foundation of everything of the life that he gets to know relationship. He's restoring him into relationship a relationship where Peter knows oh yeah I love you Jesus out of what your love for me. That's the point that Peter is being restored into relationship, a relationship that reminds him that he's more loved than he can dare to believe, that he's forgiven and that he is accepted. And that is so important for Peter to understand because that restoration of understanding that he is loved, accepted, and forgiven means that he no longer needs to live Governed by his past, governed by the choices to deny. Because reality is, he was. Like, if he'd carried on that way, he'd have lived continuously feeling like he's got to prove something. He'd have continuously lived feeling that deep sense of shame and therefore self-critique that however much he did, it would never be enough. However much others said things, it would never be enough because inside, he knew who he was. But the same is true for you and me. Like Jesus restores us from our past, from the choices we make to deny him in order that we can know relationship with him it's that place that we know love, acceptance, and forgiveness. It's that place that liberates us, that allows us to know, man, this is what defines me now. Like, I get to live from a place where I have nothing to prove. Like, I bang on about that a lot. If you hang around Oasis, you'll hear me keep saying, man, we have nothing to prove. Why do I keep saying that? Because in the very core of our human condition is that we truly believe we have everything to prove. Don't believe me? Like, think about how you introduce yourself to someone else. Like, think about how you look at yourself around the room with others. Or maybe you're sat at home and thinking, like, just think about how you think about what your neighbours have. Like, we're programmed to just compete and compare. No, no, we get to live from a place of nothing to prove. Get to live from a place where we're loved and accepted, which means even the things that we felt ashamed of, or on a journey of being removed as we're going to go and see, in order that we can know that doesn't define me. I don't have to live at the core of my being thinking, man, you are ugly. That self destructive voice is killed. For some of us, we need to hear that. But it isn't just that we're restored from something into something. You see, what we discover is it's for something. Now, before we get there, I want us to see, because Peter gets the wonder of what it is to be restored into something, and yet we get to also see this glimmer, which we're going to look at now, of how that is an ongoing process. So Let's just look at it. Firstly, we're going to look at that in a few minutes. But firstly, Restoration 4. In verse 19, Jesus says this, follow me. Like Peter is restored from something into something in order that he can now know this is what your life is to be. It's to be one that is following who Jesus is and what he's about. And What that means, and we're going to come on to explain this, is it means that he gets to live knowing that he is both a restoration project and one who is now involved in projects of restoration. And what's true for Peter, I want us to see, is true for us, that we are restored from something into something for something. See, in terms of restoration project... I don't know if you've ever come across the Chinese, Japanese kind of craftsmanship called uh, I uh, We we'll see an image now where it uh, dates back several centuries where uh, someone broke a vase that was very precious. Uh, and uh, the emperor at that point gave it to some master craftsmen who then fixed it by uh, gluing it back together with gold thread and produced something that was of infinite more beauty than the original object. And this image is used often within our society now of showing that actually our brokenness as it becomes whole isn't something to be hidden but actually becomes a mark of where there's beauty. And that's what Jesus does in you and I. It's what Jesus does. And we become then these restoration projects where actually as Jesus restores us from our past and our choices into the wonder of the relationship we enjoy with him, we then become these objects that reveal what restoration projects look like. See, for Peter in this moment, it wasn't like a denial of what had happened around the first charcoal fire. Like he lived with that, but it didn't define him. It therefore meant that he became one that said, actually, just as I've no restoration, you can. Which means in the 21st century, we can sit in a room like this and look at what happened to Peter and say, hey, just as he knew restoration, so can we. And the same is true for us, that we become these restoration projects, that we become these vases where these gold threads, that where we've known brokenness in our past as it becomes whole through Jesus, this restoration, it becomes this gold thread that isn't something we glory in, but rather we say, hey, look at what Jesus has done. This doesn't define me. But the truth is that for Peter, this wasn't like a, a kind of an ultimate. It wasn't like he was the finished product at this moment. Like It isn't like Peter kind of says, okay, I'm restored, and then he kind of acts amazingly restored from that point on. In actual fact, the next interaction he has with Jesus reveals that he's still one who is still a little bit broken. We'll see that in a moment, but I like that because I think that's true for us. Because the truth is we are restoration projects. And the truth is we're not finished yet. You see, I am not who I used to be, but I also am not who I'm going to be. But the truth is that restoration is guaranteed. Therefore, that means that in this moment, there's stuff that happened in my past that I know that I'm being redefined by in who Jesus is, but because of what happened, it just takes a while for that to sink in and for that to truly be made whole. And for many of us, that would be true. It's like we know there's, there's some stuff and it's just gonna take time for us to know true freedom, to us to know that love that's unconditional to penetrate the depths of that place. But the promise is like restoration's guaranteed. We're not who we were, but we're also not who we will be. It's also though that we become projects of restoration see jesus in his call to peter to follow him was like mapped out in his call of response of do you love me and then he kept saying like like feed my sheep see peter was being caught up with now you become part of this rest- this project of restoration that you're one who's to give yourself to encourage others who are also Restoration projects. But you also to give yourself to invite others in to become restoration projects. And that's the same true for us. We are those now, if you've centered your life on Jesus, who, yes, have been restored from something, restored into something, restored for something, which is both we become an object of something, but also we become and do something. And that is that we get to gather with others in order to encourage them in the fact that they are restoration projects. God isn't finished with you. God isn't finished with me. We get to encourage one another in that. But also we get to be those who invite others in to know that they too can be a project of restoration, that their past, their choices, aren't what needs to define them. And when we live with this, it causes us to live with this deep sense of restoration brings rejoicing, not rivalry. I was going to just finish with the restoration story of from for in. But when you read this account, I think it's so important for us to see the frailty and beauty of what's revealed through Peter. You see, in verse 21, Peter asks Jesus, What about him, Lord? What about John, Lord? See, Peter's asked in this moment, or Jesus told Peter, like, how he's going to die. And how actually in his death, it's going to bring glory to who Jesus is. Now, Peter's response in this moment isn't, wow, what a restoration project I am. It's actually to go, well, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And I love that because it's the frailty of who we are as human beings exposed. That even in the midst of knowing this deep restoration, he still reveals the restoration that needs to happen. He's human. He's like oh, but how am I going to compare to him? Or maybe it was a continuation of the competition. Do you remember Peter and John like raced to the tomb? It feels like there was this rivalry between them. Jesus responds by saying, no, restoration has no space for this. Like, don't worry about what's going to happen to him. Rather, just enjoy what's happening in you and enjoy the restoration that's happening in him. See, what restoration does is it frees us from competition and comparison. I don't know your story, you don't know mine fully. And therefore, that means that we get this adventure of discovering each other's stories and celebrating in each other's stories of the restoration projects that we are and that we're becoming. And therefore, that means that I don't need to judge how someone else is being restored. I get to celebrate. I don't need to compare how someone else is restored. I get to celebrate. And the same is true for me. Like, that's liberating, isn't it? Liberating that we don't need to worry where someone else is at. Just celebrate in the fact they too are a restoration project. Therefore, I want us to finish with this restoration that's on offer. See, I can talk about this, but the reality is the Holy Spirit is longing to bring the reality of this into your life and into mine. Maybe for some of us, maybe you're online watching, maybe you're in the room, is that you never realize that's what's on offer with Jesus. You never realize that actually Jesus does have power to restore you in the deepest possible way. I wonder if for many of us that we've known that sense that Jesus has started a restoration project in us. But if we're honest, we just kind of know that we've been making some choices that deny him. And today is a moment where Jesus meets us at our charcoal fire. Say, come on come back. Maybe for some of us it's that actually we just need to live more in the wonder of what we've been restored into. Or maybe it's that we have need to live more in the wonder of what we've been restored for. That it's okay that we're not the finished article yet. Like just enjoy where you are and what God's promising to keep doing in you. Maybe it's that sense of purpose What I want us to do is I'm going to invite Becca and the band to just come back up, and they're going to lead us in a song. And as we sing that song, I want us to just invite God, whether you're at home or in the room, to just come and examine our hearts. And just say, Jesus, I want to meet you, the one who can truly restore. And Jesus, I want to ask, what what is the restoration you want to do in me today?